0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Good morning. Welcome to AM. It's Thursday, the 1st of February. I'm Sabra Lane coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. For years, finding a doctor who bulk bills has been one of the most frustrating things for families and a hot button political issue as well. Now the federal government's claiming its decision to triple the incentive paid to GPs who bulk bill is paying off, with hundreds of thousands of extra appointments. Here's political reporter Evelyn Manfield.
1: More Australians are getting to see a GP for free, according to Health Minister Mark Butler.
2: Most of those increases have been seen in regional Australia, where it's often particularly difficult to see a bulk bill doctor. In areas like Tasmania, which had some of the lowest bulk billing rates in the country, we've seen an increase of almost 6%, you know, 5% in regional Victoria, 5% in the central coast in New South Wales, that also had low bulk billing rates.
1: Nationally, the federal government claims the bulk billing rate has risen by just over 2% with an estimated 360,000 additional trips to the GP bulk-billed in November and December. That's after the government tripled the incentives it pays to GPs who bulk-bill kids under 16 and patients with a Commonwealth concession card. Professor Steve Robson is the president of the Australian Medical Association.
3: We do know from the claims that are made to Medicare, that there
4: has been uh, not only an arrest in the in the fall in bulk billing rates, but a slight increase. And- This uh, really has been quite noticeable in very disadvantaged areas. And, of course, the thing that we all want is the most vulnerable and disadvantaged Australians
3: who have health problems to have access to care.
1: While people living in regional areas are apparently getting better access, the Chief Executive of the Consumers' Health Forum of Australia, Elizabeth Devaney, says patients in the city don't seem to be reaping the same rewards. I think generally Australians really
0: value the idea of being able to see the GP and not have to put the hand in their pocket. And as the out-of-pocket costs increase, they are a deterrent. The the danger is, of course, that people don't get the healthcare they need when they need it.
1: And with the lingering cost-of-living pressures, she's concerned about those not covered by the recent changes. We hear from people who say that I just can't afford my mortgage and my medication or I can't afford to
0: go to the doctors and also take my kids. So I take the kids and I go without. I recently talking to some consumers where a couple decided they couldn't both afford to go to the doctors, but they were both unwell. So one went had a consultation, got a medicine and then they shared the medicine and assumed they had the same problem.
1: The Health Minister, Mark Butler, says patients have saved an estimated $15 million in fees and he points out that Medicare incentives have always been targeted.
2: Increasing those incentives as substantially as we did in the May budget should also take more pressure off general practice, pressure that is driving gap fees up for those who aren't covered by bulk billing incentive arrangements.
1: But Shadow Health Minister Ann Ruston says it's a workforce issue too. We simply don't have enough doctors, enough general practitioners to be able to meet the demands of the community,
0: which is why we're seeing um, increasing fees. We need to be making sure that we're providing incentives for our medical graduates to choose general practice as their specialty. We need to streamline and fast-track international doctors who want to come and work in Australia.
1: And she adds GPs also need to be given more incentives to stay in their practices and to work as many hours as they're able to.
0: Evelyn Manfield. The bosses of the world's biggest tech platforms have been accused of having blood on their hands by a powerful United States Senate committee. They were ordered to appear to explain what they're doing to protect children from online exploitation. Here's North America correspondent Carrington Clark.
3: It's a rare issue in Washington that unites both sides of politics, but Democrats and Republicans alike are keen to make big tech answer for the abuse and exploitation of children on their platforms. The Senate Judiciary Committee called in matters: Mark Zuckerberg, TikTok's Xiao Chu, Snaps' Evan Spiegel, Discords' Jason Citron and Linda Yaccarino from X, formerly Twitter. Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican, set the tone. Mr Zuckerberg, you and the
5: companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands.
3: And it didn't get any better for the CEOs from there. Republican Senator Josh Hawley pointed to statistics showing high numbers of young teens on Instagram had received unwanted sexual advances on the platform. He also took Mark Zuckerberg to task. Senator, I view my job and the job of our company as building the best tools that we can to keep our community safe. Well, you're failing at that. To, well, Senator, we're doing an industry-leading effort. We build AI oh, tools nonsense. that... Oh, nonsense. Your product is killing people. Will you personally commit to
2: compensating the victims? You're a billionaire. Will you commit to compensating the victims? Will you set up a compensation fund? Senator, with your money? I
3: think these are... These are with your money. There was no promise of compensation, but Mr Zuckerberg did stand up from the table, turned away from the microphone, and told rows of families who've grappled with child abuse that no-one should have endured what they did. X, the recently rebranded Twitter, has been under fire for cutting back on safety and monitoring since Elon Musk bought the platform. Under questioning from Democratic Senator Alex Padea, its CEO Linda Yaccarino sought to play down the number of child users. Less than 1% of all US users are between the ages of 13 and 17. Less than 1% of how many? Of 90 million US users. All the CEOs defended their business operations, pointing to efforts to restrict young people from their platforms and introduce parental controls. Politicians took the opportunity to pressure the companies to support proposed bills aimed at reining them in, but legislative progress has proved slow. In a Congress paralysed by partisan divides and political infighting, even agreement on this issue hasn't been enough to change the landscape yet. This is Carrington-Clark in Washington reporting for AM.
0: Inflation might have slowed to its lowest level in two years, but the cost-of-living crisis facing many Australians is by no means over. The lower-than-expected inflation figure means interest rates are likely to be left on hold when the Reserve Bank holds its first meeting of the year next week. But as Nick Grimm reports, shoppers are still feeling the pinch with grocery prices.
4: For this woman outside a major supermarket in suburban Sydney... Feeding the family is a financial stretch.
0: It's really expensive when you've got kids and they go to school and they want to eat healthy. Healthy stuff is expensive.
4: Yeah, so if inflation's coming down, that will be a help?
0: It sure would. I don't know. I'm not keeping my fingers crossed on that one.
4: But with inflation falling to a lower than expected 4.1 per cent, any signs of good news is welcomed by these shoppers.
6: It's good news. People have been struggling with cost of living pressures. Uh, I think this is going to make a real difference, but I'm sure people are going to feel a lot of relief with the uh, inflation coming down.
7: I hope it'll make it life easier to manage for young people who are struggling in the economy today.
4: Will it make an impact for you? Yes, definitely. Uh, there is impact uh, because of high prices and then uh, low wages. Because of these two fluctuations, uh, we feel the pain. And that pain won't end just yet. Dr Isaac Gross is a senior lecturer in economics at Monash University and a former economist at the Reserve Bank. The big takeaway is that this means that the the average basket of goods that households consume isn't going up by as much as it used to be. Now, prices aren't necessarily coming down, but the acceleration is certainly stopping. So it's good news for households. The fact that we've been able to stabilise inflation while keeping the unemployment rate low, I think is a real win-win for the Australian economy and the Australian households. And this economist is tipping the RBA may cut interest rates sooner than most observers have been forecasting. So I don't think that'll happen next month uh, or perhaps even the month after that, but towards the middle of the year and maybe sooner if uh, the good news keeps on coming in, they'll start to decrease interest rates from their current high levels. In the meantime, don't expect most household expenses to get any cheaper anytime soon.
2: Well, look, inflation is still a factor. Prices are still going up. I mean, there is a cost-of-living crisis in Australia and food and grocery prices are right at
4: the heart of it. Greens' economic justice spokesperson, Senator Nick McKim, chairs the parliamentary inquiry into supermarket prices. Public submissions close tomorrow. But already the Greens have surveyed shoppers about those costs.
2: There were some really shocking and alarming responses to our inquiry, um, particularly... You know, a third of people report skipping meals now as a result of significant increase in food and grocery prices over the last two years.
4: So what will you be probing in that case when the inquiry does start conducting hearings?
2: We want to understand how it is that on one hand farmers and primary producers say they're not getting a fair price from the major supermarkets for their products and, on the other hand, why consumers feel like they're being gouged and uh, have to resort to skipping meals and going without the essentials of life. There is something going wrong with our system at the moment where the big supermarket corporations can rake in billions of dollars in profits. Their CEOs can make multi-million dollar salary and bonus packages, while millions of Australians can't afford to buy enough food to feed their families.
0: Green Senator Nick McKim ending Nick Grimm's report there. Despite 13 interest rate rises since May 2022, house prices are on track to continue rising across the country. Agents say the market is being fuelled by renters and migrants wanting to buy their own homes and buyers trying to get ahead of interest rate cuts expected later this year. Nassim Kadem reports.
7: Beats here at a million and fifty, good value, final call. After some negotiation on price, Natalie just bought her first home in Australia's second biggest property market, Melbourne. She wanted to get in ahead of what she expects will be a mad rush later this year.
0: It's definitely been difficult and stressful trying to figure out whether we'll be able to afford the mortgage repayments if interest rates go up. But hopefully
7: now that they've started to settle, we should be should be okay House prices rose nationally last month up 0.4% and 8.7% over the year. It's the 12th straight month of increases with Perth, Adelaide and Brisbane leading the gains. Sydney was up marginally and Melbourne, Canberra and Hobart went backwards slightly. The national median house price is now almost $760,000, although for Sydney it's far higher at $1.12 million. Eliza Owen is the head of residential Research at property data company CoreLogic. Nationally, we're expecting house prices to rise in 2024, but probably at a slower rate than what we saw last year. That's because the economy is a little bit weaker with rising unemployment and lower savings rates. And she says there's another factor helping to drive up prices. Migration is still pretty intense uh, across Australia more broadly and in some parts of Australia, like southeast Queensland for example, where internal migration is very popular. Despite the ongoing cost of living pressures, homes are still selling and at another auction in Melbourne, first time buyers Joseph Kang and Kelly Key have once again been priced out of the market.
5: We initially started off looking for like a smaller townhouse, um, but then even those were kind of getting up there in price so we thought might as well just kind of move further out and get, get a bit more space.
7: The Reserve Bank is expected to keep interest rates on hold when it meets next week, before possibly cutting them later in the year. So agents, including Peter Shank, are expecting more first-home buyers to return to the market. They're buying for
5: the long term. They're buying for the next 10
7: years. Regardless of when interest rates fall, real estate agent Rowan Liu says migrants and overseas buyers will still be bidding.
5: We do work with a few uh, immigration agencies uh, that have buyers... Uh, that is not
6: really uh, affected by the interest rates. Now, those buyers are a little bit more cashed up.
7: With cashed up buyers, the competition is set to stay strong. Nassim
0: Kadem reporting. Approvals to export Australian made military equipment to Israel are being stalled by the Albanese government. One defence industry insider says there appears to be a deliberate go slow while the war in Gaza continues. Here's defence correspondent Andrew Green.
6: Throughout the Gaza war, drone strikes have been a constant feature. For months, both sides have used unmanned aerial systems to deliver lethal payloads. Since Hamas's October 7 terrorist attacks, Israel has tried to source military supplies from around the world. The ABC can reveal that in Australia, it's hoping to purchase locally made equipment that includes counter-drone systems. But industry figures claim the Defence Department's Weapons Export Control Office has deliberately stalled making any decisions on applications for months. And that, quote, nobody in the government wants to be seen to be either approving or rejecting Israeli military sales. Australia has one of the most secretive weapons export systems on the planet. The government chooses to hide from the public what weapons we export, what the cost is and which country we export those weapons to. Green Senator David Shoebridge says instead of delaying decisions on military exports to Israel, the Albanese government should simply reject them. In the face of this conflict and the humanitarian disaster it's created in Gaza, So the answer is not a go slow on weapons exports to Israel. It needs to be a clear and public no from the Albanese government and we're not hearing that. Figures familiar with Australia's weapons export licensing process say it's difficult to determine precisely where delays on assessing applications are occurring. Defence has declined to answer questions about specific export requests citing commercial considerations. In a statement, the department said the government has made it clear that Australia has not supplied weapons to Israel since the conflict began and for at least the past five years. A spokesperson also telling the ABC... Australia has a stringent export control framework which is designed to ensure our military and dual-use
4: items are used responsibly outside Australia in ways that do not violate
6: human rights. The ABC has been told Israeli diplomats have also raised the matter with officials in Australia, but its embassy in Canberra has declined to comment.
0: Andrew Green reporting. The United States has continued its strikes against Houthi rebels in Yemen overnight who have been attacking international shipping in the Red Sea. This time, the US military says it's destroyed a Houthi surface-to-air missile that was an imminent threat to American aircraft. The confrontations are raising fears of another conflict in the country, which has been devastated by nearly a decade of civil war, as Middle East correspondent Tom Joyner reports.
5: For most of his life, Fuad al-Jadi has walked to class each morning knowing he may not return home.
1: My school was chilled and I had to stop going for a while. As a child, I was afraid our house would be hit. I was constantly in fear.
5: After nearly a decade of civil war in Yemen, fighting between Houthi rebels and government forces was put on hold in 2022 in a UN-brokered truce. That truce has held longer than expected with the Houthis controlling the capital and most of the populated parts of the country, while the internationally recognized government is based in the south. With the fighting on pause, 13-year-old Fuad has turned his thoughts to his future.
2: We have big dreams. We want to become doctors and engineers.
5: Now his country faces another war against a dangerous and powerful enemy, threatening to undo the fragile peace. American airstrikes on Houthi rebel targets in Yemen have drawn Washington and its Western allies, including Australia, into an expanding conflict in the Middle East. For months, the Houthis have attacked commercial ships in the Red Sea in support of Palestinians in Gaza. The White House says US strikes are designed to put a stop to the rebels' attacks, but so far they've done little but inflame tensions across the region. In Yemen's Houthi-held capital, Sana'a, already suffering years of humanitarian crisis, Residents now worry a dark new chapter is beginning. Locals are stockpiling fuel in anticipation of a war with the West, while business owners are bracing for further economic decline.
6: The news is bad and a war is looming. We worry we'll be forced to shut the factory.
5: In Shima Ibrahim's chocolate shop, years of conflict forced her to let go of staff, while black market supplies have become unaffordable.
6: We faced the last war bravely, then we're ready for a tough new war.
5: For Fuad's generation that's known nothing but war, surviving is the only option.
1: Even if there was another war on Yemen, we will not surrender.
5: This is Tom Joyner reporting for AM.
0: And that's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane.
7: Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily Podcast. Come July, we're all set to get a tax break and lower and middle income earners will be getting a bit more now after the government's rejig of the Stage 3 cuts. Does that really make our tax system any fairer? Look for the ABC News Daily Podcast on the ABC Listener.